So every Tuesday, the Ringer Podcast Network puts out a new episode of the Rewatchables podcast. And uh, the Rewatchables podcast is a podcast show where Bill Simmons, Chris Ryan, and others from the Ringer Orbit come together to discuss movies that, in their words, they can't seem to stop watching. Uh, The podcast started back in August of 2017, and it's been going strong ever since. And in each episode, Bill, Chris, and whoever's featured with them, what they do is they dive deeply into a movie that they consider to be worthy of rewatching. And they look at it from all kinds of different angles. They uh, ask questions about it. They look at it, break it down into different categories. They break down their favorite scenes. They assess the acting performances. They, they talk about how this movie has aged since it came out. They think about uh, its legacy. It's a podcast ultimately built on the idea of trying to take a fresh and deeper look at a movie that's both familiar and beloved. And now I bring that up this morning because as we continue our study today in the Gospel of Mark, in many ways, that's what we're doing. As uh, we look at what I would call one of the most rewatchable stories in the life of Jesus, this familiar and beloved story of these four friends who bring their their paralyzed friend to Jesus in, in such a dramatic and memorable way. And like these rewatchable movies, there's so much here. There's so much you could possibly break down and, and talk about, so much that this week it was, it was really hard for me to actually narrow in on what we were going to focus on today. Normally I like to know where I'm going by Wednesday morning, and it wasn't until Friday, Friday morning I was finally able to be like, okay, here's where we're going. There's just so much here. But of all that's here, what grabbed me this week and what I couldn't get away from was the theme of faith. If you remember, when Jesus started his ministry at the beginning of this gospel in Mark chapter one, he begins by saying in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says this. So he says to repent and believe in the gospel. So that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to believe in him. He wants us to have faith in him. And here in Mark chapter two, in this story, this is the first time in the book of Mark where faith is used after Jesus tells us this, he, this is what he wants us to have. So in, in our passage, Mark 2, 5 tells us when Jesus saw their faith. And so there's so much in this story, but in this story, at least one of the things we get is a picture of faith. And because we don't have an hour to an hour and a half like the Rewatchables podcast to break down every aspect of this, this is what we're going to focus on today. And, and I know for me personally this week, looking at what we see here about faith, it, it's, it's really inspired me. It, it, it's made me want to grow in my own faith. And so that's my prayer as we look at it together now, that God would use it to do the same thing for all of us, wherever we are today on the journey. And, and so let's get into this. Let's look at this rewatchable scene and look at the picture of faith that we find in it. And let's look at three things to help us do that. First, let's look at the look of faith. Second, the focus of faith, and then third, the healing of faith. And I just want to footnote Dane Ortland here. His sermon on this passage was really helpful for me getting this uh, flow here. So let's look at these three things. First, let's look at the look of faith. So what does faith look like? What are some of the characteristics of faith? Well, the first part of our passage gives us two key aspects, two key aspects we see here. And the first one is this, that faith is communal. Faith is communal. It's a community project. Look at verse 1. 
says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So Jesus is back in Capernaum. Mark says he's at home, but this is probably Peter's home that Jesus was using as his home base. And when word gets out that he's back, people flock to him. They want to get close to him. They want to hear him teach. And that's what's happening when these four men bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And now there's never been a point in history when uh, being paralyzed would not be an absolutely debilitating condition. But at this time in the first century... There were no wheelchairs. There were no like access ramps. Of course, medical care and, and advances were, were so much further behind where they are now. And so this man in this moment was, was in desperate need. And, and these men, his friends, they know how desperate he is. And so what do they do? They come and together they take him to the feet of Jesus. And now before we go any further in the story, it's important for us to pause and say this is how Faith is supposed to work. Faith is, is not some, supposed to be something you do by yourself. You, you do need your own faith. Surely this man had faith in Jesus too, along with his friends. When Jesus saw their faith in verse 5, surely he saw this man's faith too, along with his friends. So you need your own faith, but faith is not something you do by yourself in isolation. Faith is something you do together in community And I know we like to do things on our own. I'm naturally a huge, I can do it by myself, self-sufficiency person. But according to the Bible, that's that's not what being a Christian, and that's not what exercising faith is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like this, right? You need men and women in your life who walk, walk alongside you and exercise their faith with you. You need people who can encourage you, who can challenge you, who can strengthen you, In your faith, you need people who can do exactly what these guys do in this passage. People who can bring you to the feet of Jesus when you don't have the strength to get there on your own. A couple months ago, this year on my birthday, we were supposed to be at the beach having fun, celebrating as a family, but instead we were at the hospital with Sophia, our youngest. She actually had a surgery scheduled for that day on my birthday, and we'd already been there a few days. And so, needless to say, I was not doing my best. Um, was not my best birthday. I, I was not uh, feeling that strong in my own faith at the moment. But several guys in my community group, they knew what was going on. They, they knew we were struggling, and they knew it was my birthday. Uh, they knew that I love cafeterias, which is a, another story for another time. I'd be happy to talk with you about that after the service. But they knew all this, and so they, what they did is they reached out, and they set up a, a, a really intentional birthday lunch for me there in the hospital cafeteria. And, and man, that was exactly what I needed in that moment. I felt so loved. It was one of the most uh, moments I felt so loved that I can even remember in a long time. It, it really did feel like they were picking me up when I couldn't get up on my own. And see, that's what the church is. That's what the life of faith is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be uh, people picking you up, you picking other people up. I think so often we get so focused on like, how am I doing? How, how strong is my faith right now? What, how am I doing in, in my own personal faith? But the first thing we see in this story is a reminder that's so easy to forget that this is communal. 
we do it together, that faith is ultimately a team sport. It's not an individual sport. And so we see here first that faith, it's communal. But then second, the second aspect we see here is that faith is audacious. Faith is audacious. It's it's ripping through the roof. Look at verse 4. It tells us, When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So these guys, they come to Jesus with their friend, but the house is packed, and and these weren't very big homes back then, and there was only one way in. And so people would have been packed inside, probably spilling out the doorway into the street, and so they can't get in. But what do they do? Well, they don't give up. They do something insanely bold. They go up on top of the roof, and they begin to tear through it. And now I know this is familiar so for, for a lot of us. And so I, I want you to think about this, like what's actually happening. This was someone's house, right? This was Peter's house, right? So this was his roof, right? You think about how expensive a roof is now if you had a hole in it to fix. I don't know what it was back then, but like he, he's gonna have to deal with this. And also think about how distracting this would have been. I mean, sometimes here on Sundays after the service, somebody will come to me and say, hey, um, man, I got so distracted during the sermon because the dogs over here were all barking. 11 o'clockers, you guys know this, right? Or if a thunderstorm or rainstorm will roll in because of the way it'll hit our roof and how loud it is, it can be, it can be distracting. This is that times a thousand. Imagine Jesus teaching, everyone's here, they're trying to lock into what he's saying and there's this noise above them, so loud, there's pieces of mud and the roof falling in on them. I mean, it's, it's hard to... It's hard to envision how, how abrasive this would have been, right? How bold this move was by these men. But here's the thing. Apparently, Jesus loves it because he doesn't reprimand them. He doesn't chew them out for interrupting him, doing the very thing he said he came to do to teach. But verse 5 tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, that he said to the paralytic, son, he uses a, an endearing term in all the chaos of the scene. You can, you can almost picture him with a smile on his face. He loves their audacity. He loves their boldness. He loves their, their childlikeness. They're demonstrating with their faith. And, and Jesus still loves this kind of faith today. When you and I come to him like this, when we come to him boldly like a child with intensity, when we, we do whatever we have to do, to get to him. This is what true faith looks like. It looks like people in community coming boldly to the throne of grace together, ripping through the roof, doing whatever we have to do to get each other to Jesus. That's what we see at the beginning of this story. And it's so inspiring. So often I don't have it. But it's what we see here. And so this is, this is the look of faith we get And then second, let's keep going and let's look at the focus of faith. The focus of faith, because this is where we start to see how this happens, how this kind of faith is created. And it's very simple, but really important. It's by focusing on Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, you don't get faith by trying to have faith, right? We can't become a community of people who come to Jesus together with audacity by trying to become a community of people who come together 
uh, to Jesus with audacity. Right? It's not how it works. Right? Maybe, maybe that'll create some activity, but it's not going to create this kind of real, deep, and lasting faith. And so how do you get it? Well, by focusing on Jesus as the object of our faith. And that, that's why these men come the way they do. They're not trying to do something crazy so they'll be remembered as an example of faith that, that people like us will study for thousands of years. Like, they're just focused on Jesus. They just want to get to him. That's why they do this. That's why when there's a roadblock, they do whatever they can to find another way. It reminds me of one of my friends I grew up with in Weaverville. And uh, so this friend, him and his dad, were, were huge connoisseurs of sports memorabilia. So they had all kinds of autographs and other cool different um, sports things that they had collected. And one day, several years ago, this friend of mine, he was back in Weaverville, and he heard this crazy rumor that Michael Jordan was in town and was actually playing golf in Weaverville, like the Michael Jordan. And my friend was and is a big golfer, and he'd, he'd played this course where apparently Jordan was playing many times. And so he decided kind of to, you know, to quote Eminem, like, I've only got one shot, right? One opportunity. I got to do this. And so he did. And so he started thinking about it and he started doing the math. So if, if MJ teed off about this time, here's where he's probably at right now. He's probably on the, the short par three with the pond. And so if I go over right now, I can probably catch him right there. And so no joke, here's what he did. He went and he got his fishing pole and he put it in his car he drove over, ran to that spot, threw his line, nothing on the hook at all, in the pond, and just sat there and waited for Jordan to come by. And it worked. His crew came by. Michael actually asked him, hey, did you catch anything? And he got his autograph, right, to add to his collection. It was amazing. Right? It's, a, it's a great story. But the point is, why did my friend do something crazy like this? Why did he drop everything and as a young adult man <laughs> go pretend to fish in a pond on a golf course? Because it was Michael Jordan, right? That's why he was willing to do something crazy like this. Because he knew he was there, he, he kind of blacked out and just did whatever he could to get to him. And the same is true for us. Right, this kind of faith, it comes alive in our life as individuals and as a community when we realize it's Jesus. When we focus on him, when we see who he is, then we just do what feels natural and what seems best. And what comes out is this kind of faith. And you see here on the opposite end of the spectrum, the religious leaders in this passage, they're focused on themselves. They're focused on following all the rules on doing everything right, on everything going according to their preconceived categories of how it's supposed to go. I mean, they're, they're here in the scene too. They're watching all this happen. But instead of them focusing on Jesus and all the amazing things he's doing and saying, Mark tells us they're skeptical. Verse six says, after this happened, now some of the scribes were sitting there and they were questioning in their hearts. And now we'll see in a minute, they're, they do have some reasons to be thinking deeply about what's happening and what Jesus says and what all this means. But we know, and it's clear from the rest of the gospel story, that there, there's also a coldness. There's a hardness of heart. There's a, a questioning and a skepticism coming because they're fo so focused on staying in the lines. And so they miss Jesus. 
And they miss out on the joy that, that comes from this living this life of faith. And, and we need to think about this. This is a real danger for us. This is always a temptation for anybody involved in organized religion to make it more about us and doing our duty, keeping everyone in line. And we can miss the main thing. We can miss Jesus. And so maybe a good diagnostic for us all to ask ourselves as we, we look at this is to think about who do I look more like in this story? Do I look more like the men who are coming to Jesus who maybe don't know everything about what they're doing, who maybe who, who are a little reckless? Or do I look more like the scribes, like the religious leaders who, who know the right thing to do, who know the right answer, but they're, they're so busy thinking about themselves and, and questioning in their hearts. And I know, I, I think about my own faith, I can see both in me, my own heart, really depending on the day, depending on the hour, but, but the way to get this kind of faith is to focus on Jesus. It's not to focus on your own faith. It's not to focus on doing it right, but it's to focus on him. That's what we see these men doing. And then finally, this brings us to the last point, to the, the healing of faith. The healing of faith. So what, what kind of, what does this faith produce? Again, look at verse 4. It tells us, When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus, he sees their wild faith and he loves it. But then he does something surprising. He doesn't say, son, your paralysis is healed. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And now this would have been as shocking, if not more shocking than this guy being lowered into the house through the roof. For this man, for his friends, for everybody in the room at this moment, because so far Jesus, he has healed a lot of people physically. But as far as we know, he hasn't done this yet. He hasn't forgiven anybody's sins. And as we just said, there is a coldness and hardness of heart going on with the scribes, but they are right to wonder about this. When they say in verse seven, why, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? See, according to their scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures and, and our Old Testament, they're, they're absolutely right. The only one who can do this, the only one who can forgive sins is God. So for Jesus to, to say this and to do this is staggering. He, by forgiving this man's sins, he's claiming to have the authority that only God has. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And that's why when he senses, he perceives them questioning like this, he doesn't back away. He doubles down so everyone understands exactly what authority he's claiming to have. Look at verse 8. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these thing in, things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus, he wants to make it crystal clear who he is 
and what he came to do for those who believe in him, who have faith in him. And so he says, all right, what's easier? To say to someone, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, get up and walk. And of course, it's easier to just say your sins are forgiven because you can't validate that externally. It's a lot harder to say to somebody who can't walk, get up and walk, because if you say that and then they don't do it, you're going to look like a complete fool. And so after forgiving this man's sins, that's what Jesus does. He says, rise, take your mat, get up and walk. And he does. Verse 12 tells us that he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. In this scene, what Jesus is doing is he's showing us, this is what I came to do. This is why I want you to put your faith in me because I can heal you. I can give you the the true healing of forgiveness you need from the true paralysis in your soul that's binding you, that's killing you. That's what I have the authority to do as the son of God. And that's what I love to do. And see, the point is for us, as we focus on Jesus as the object of our faith, most of all, this is what we're to focus on, what Jesus came to do for us, to bring the healing of forgiveness for all our sins, to to make us clean, to remove them from us, as Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west. And again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus, he cares deeply about our bodies and healing us physically too. And there, he, he does promise there's an ultimate healing coming. But this is what he's about most of all, healing us in Tim Keller's words from the only thing that can truly ever kill us, our sins which separate us from God. And so as we focus on Jesus, we focus here, but not just on, on what he came to do for us, but also on how, on how he can forgive us how it's possible, how he has the authority to forgive us so freely when we've committed so many real sins against God and against the people in our life. And so how does Jesus, how can he do it? How does he have this authority? Well, the reason Jesus has the authority to forgive our sins is because he came to die for them. It's because he has lowered himself down from heaven to come to earth and to take our place. And even here in this story, you begin to see the shadow of the cross coming over Jesus. See, when he forgives this man, the scribes, they charge him with blasphemy in their hearts. And that was a charge that at the time was punishable by death. And Jesus, he doesn't refute it, right? When when he perceives this, he doesn't say, no, I take it back. I didn't mean that. Or no, you, you don't really understand. No, he presses the issue even further. And you know, he's a ways away, but this is the charge that ultimately is going to get him killed. This is where he's heading. As we fast forward in the story and we look at his trial, this is what Mark 14 tells us, verse 63. After his trial, the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And here's what they say. And they all condemned him as deserving death. See, this is the beginning of where he's going. It's the first step, in some sense, on the way to the cross. And when you look at Jesus, this is what you see. You see a king who came to rescue you from your greatest enemy. You see a king who came to give you the true healing 
of forgiveness. And you see a king who came to do it by giving his life for you so that he could have the absolute authority to make it happen, to say to you, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And I said, I've been inspired this week. I want this kind of faith for me and and for us like this man and his friends. Well, this is how we get it. We look at him. We look at Jesus. We see his grace. We see his love for us. And more and more as the Holy Spirit brings us into this, this kind of faith will start to come out. It'll start to emerge. We'll start to be a church full of people who, who rip through the roof constantly to bring each other to the feet of Jesus. Together, we'll, we'll be a community of people who trust him, who love him, and who are like everyone at the end of this story who are amazed and glorify the God who loves us more than we can imagine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way you love us. Um, thank you for sending Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us. Thank you for the ways we see that, uh, even here in this story. And we pray, I ask, that uh, by the power of your spirit, you would use this this morning uh, to give us more of this kind of faith, this kind of faith that uh, we work out together as a community and that, that is bold, that's audacious. Lord, that's just focused on him, on how much he loves us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that for your glory and our good today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.